Thank you for tuning in to the Real Estate Innovation Podcast, brought to you by the ULI Women's Leadership Initiative. The ULI's mission is to provide leadership in the responsible use of land and in creating and sustaining thriving communities worldwide. The WLI is the engine that drives ULI BC to be recognized as a leading organization supporting women as leaders in the industry. Hello, hello. This is Judy, host of the Innovation Podcast for the ULI BC's Women's Leadership Initiative, where we talk about everything and everyone taking part in innovation and what that means in the real estate business. In this episode, I'm chatting with HCMA's very own Melissa Higgs. Melissa is an architect who's passionate about creating innovative public spaces where communities come together. She's a believer in the power of architecture and design as a catalyst for positive change in the world. Her practice with HCMA is focused on designing buildings, brands, and shared experiences that connect people and community. Melissa, welcome to the channel. I'm very glad to be your host today. How are you? Oh, I'm great. I'm so happy to be here, Judy. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So I would love to give you the floor to speak a little bit about yourself. I know I gave a little introduction, but I'm sure a lot of people are interested in what HCMA is all about, the rebranding that you've done, and the sort of work that you do and with with the practice. Yeah, great. Uh, maybe I'll start a little bit about uh, HCMA now and a, and a little bit about me. So I'm an architect um, and I'm a principal. I'm one of seven principals uh, at HCMA now. And I feel really privileged and lucky to work on primarily public buildings. So I get to work on community centers, aquatic centers, libraries. And we do uh, quite a bit of that work across the firm. We also do um, education. So everywhere from, you know, ch- childcare right up through elementary school, secondary schools, post-secondary. Uh, and we do projects from small scale things to, to, you know, really big, significant community buildings. And I think the what ties it all together for us is really around um, how do we find ways in all of our work at all scales to kind of maximize our impact through our work. Your team is made of so much more than architects. What can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, I'd love to. I mean, the the firm has been around for more than 40 years, actually. Um, And we, you know, our kind of roots really started in more traditional architecture. So a small firm that was focused really on architecture and to some extent, uh, urban planning and urban design. And over time, especially in the last kind of five to 10 years, we've really kind of changed our focus and our direction. Um, And it is really around that idea of creating, uh, kind of maximizing our impact. And I think, um, you know, so we've evolved, I would say, over the last 10 years into being more of an interdisciplinary team. Um, And the catalyst, I think, really for that big change for us was this, you know, this desire to try to help communities to solve the kind of pressing issues, what I say, maybe the big challenges that we're facing. And by that, I think we mean, you know, the really big things like loneliness, which I know Vancouver gets tagged with quite a bit. Um, And I think a lot of urban centers do. There's this density and proximity, but maybe a lack of connection that leads to loneliness. Um, You know, the idea of health and mental wellness, um, resilience, both as individuals, but also on a community scale. Uh, you know, the climate crisis and, you know, the really big things, racism, discrimination, uh, inequity, like they're really wicked um, mixed up problems. And I think as architects, you know, we're pretty well trained to deal with that kind of complexity. But I think we recognize that, you know, to solve those kind of problems through our work, we just we need multiple voices and we need different perspectives and lived experiences and really design ideas and different ways of thinking at the table to really kind of solve those problems. So, 
yeah, we really changed our team and we have now, you know, quite a wide range of creatives at the firm from uh, architects, graphic designers, industrial and interior design strategists, um, social and environmental researchers, community engagement specialists. Um, and, you know, we really try to work together um, to bring those different perspectives to the table to kind of tackle those problems from, um, you know, from different, more unique angles. It seems to be the discussion of our times today, rethinking who is it that's on this discussion table and who's really voicing the opinions and are we actually capturing the voice of the diversity and inclusive nature of our communities? Could you share some insight on the artist in residence program that HCMA takes part of or, or, or provides the platform for in your practice? I think that really highlights a lot of the interdisciplinary and collaborative approach that you take. I'd love to talk about that. About five years ago, um, we have a, we have a, um, almost like a sub, but we have something called tilt, which is our tilt curiosity labs, which is a, it encompasses a range of things, but the short, the short description of it would be it's areas that we want to investigate that are not project or client driven. So giving us a little bit of a a freedom to investigate uh, issues or ideas in our cities that that we want to dig into. And one of the initiatives that came that, that is run through tilt is our artists and residents. And it's a pretty simple, system where we uh, offer a stipend and we have um, an application process and we work with artists for usually around right now it's about 10 weeks um, per artist in residence and the only ask really is that the artists share with our team so they are welcome to work in our space a lot of artists need space to work so we ask that they engage with us through their process so that we can learn from them and that they can learn learn from us through the process and we it has been like judy it's just been so much more than i can imagine like one of one that there's so in so many standouts but one of the standouts for me would be we worked we had a a woman come to us who's a choreographer and a dancer and she said i want to work with you to think about how bodies experience space because dancers are you know they experience and think about space in a different way so i would like to choreograph a dance for one of your buildings and so she choreographed a dance for our aquatic center in Surrey called Grandview Heights Aquatic Center, where she tried to understand what the concept spatially of the building was and then represent it through dance. And it's just so, it's just, it's just been incredible. We're working with an artist right now. He's just finishing up um, with us. We've, we have worked with, um, Oh my gosh, names are escaping me right now. So many. We've worked with uh, a food-based artist, uh, Annabelle Choi. Uh, we work with a wood carver. Uh, we've worked with painters. Uh, we work with Ola Volo to do a, a mural. So I think, and it, it actually changes us. I guess the, you might ask, why do we do it? We do it to push ourselves and to see things through different perspectives. Um, and it's one of those things that has really, it brings us together as a firm. Um, it also, we share the outcome and it gives the artists hopefully some kind of a platform for their work as well. So there's a, a hopefully a mutual benefit, but I think it just changes our thinking. It's, it's very different when you commission those artists not to showcase their work, but rather learn from their work. There's so much yeah. inherent value in that, in that approach. Yeah, it's, it's been really, really rich, like beyond our expectations. I don't know if a lot of people know this who are listening to this podcast, but HCMA recently went through a very significant rebranding. I mean, the logo, communication, web style, uh, website style reads very different than the previous version. And I'd love some insight on your approach to branding and communication and why take the pivot into this rebranded version we're seeing today. 
Yeah, I'd love to. And it, it kind of ties into the, the conversation we just had around uh, around the fact that we were changing as a firm and uh, changing who, who, not just who we are, but how we how we go about our practice and what we want to do. And so I think we realized that our, our previous brand really reflected, it, it was still hanging on a little bit more to more traditional architectural practice. You know, it had the name architecture and design in it, which was a move for us to acknowledge that we had other design types. But, you know, the actual logo itself was, you know, it was black and white. It had quite kind of hard lines. Even the photography style, the way we kind of captured our, our buildings and spaces and places was, you know, didn't have a lot of people in it. It was much more traditional in terms of how architecture kind of shows up in magazines and things. And I think we we felt a little bit, honestly, like my analogy would be, it felt a bit like we were wearing clothes that still fit us, but didn't quite reflect who we were or maybe who we, we wanted to be. So yeah, it, it's been wonderful having our own uh, internal kind of graphic design and branding team. And so some of the things you might see is that we kind of moved away from that kind of uppercase firmness to sort of lowercase letters that are a little bit less legible. They focus a little bit less on the names and more about the idea of, I think we're trying to reflect the idea of collaboration. Um, you know, HCMA has some market value, so we didn't want to, you know, move entirely away from that. But, um, you know, we wanted to just, just, to be honest, we wanted to place ourselves differently in the industry and have people know about all these other things that we were doing that weren't really reflected in how we were showing up in the world from a branding perspective. Um yeah, so I think one of the things we've had for quite some time is this website experiment, which was was kind of, it was our old brand, but we would be kind of, instead of having a traditional website that kind of showcased our work, we always had this, Quite we started off with a question saying, you know, we'd show a photograph and say, you know, what would you like to see here? Or how do you feel about, you know, this issue? So we were, we were, we were getting to this idea of inviting people in to be more a part of us. Um, and I think we were, the brand hopefully really celebrates, I think a couple key things would be this idea that we wanted to acknowledge that there are so many people with individual curiosities within the firm and we wanted to kind of lead with that. I think there's been this long kind of myth that's been sold about architects as, you know, a single individual at the top of a pyramid and, you know, one big idea that comes from one person. And in practice, anybody who works with architects kind of, I hope, knows that that that's not the way it is. It's really about a collective of ideas. Um, and then I think the other really big thing we wanted to showcase in the brand was that um, moments of real meaningful life happen in our in our community buildings and the spaces that we work on. Um, and we wanted to be able to reflect that even in terms of how we document our buildings. And I think one of the interesting things we did was start kind of crowdsourcing photographs actually where we, if we found images of our work through other people's Instagram feeds, we'd reach out and say, hey, we love this picture of those, you know you and your family playing at this space or getting a book in this library. Are you okay if we use this image on our site? And we just got all this kind of amazing richness of people actually being human and, and doing the things we want them to do in our buildings. Um, yeah, so I think the logo really is was a big way of, of reflecting that. It's much more playful. It's got warm colors in it. Um, and I think, I guess, the last thing I would say is that it's, I think what we want it to be is kind of a promise to the communities that we serve, that that's how we want to engage with them. It's how we want to go through our design process. Um, and that it hopefully reflects reflects that, that, that about us. I really like that you've sort of taken a an intangible quality and reflected that through, you know, graphics. Can you tell me how does that now get translated into the architecture? So I love that you guys have changed your approach with regards to um, I want to say almost post-completion, right? Like you're you're now crowdsourcing photos and you're crowdsourcing um, experiences. Let's take let's rewind and say we're at the we're at the schematic stage of a drawing and we're thinking about a building. How has that now rebranding a new approach? How does that manifest in that stage? 
That's such a great question. And I love that you asked it. And I think you started, you started your question with the idea, I think of the intangible, like, how do we, like, how do we make that tangible? And I think that is something that but when we when we talk about maximizing our impact, that's always the really challenging question. It's one we've we've been working actually for several years now on a framework. It's called this, for us we're calling it the social impact guide, where we can figure out okay, we we may have set out these visions and these values with the community about you know community building and um, connections and maybe perhaps making a welcoming inclusive space. How do we know in the end that we have achieved that through through the work? And we have all these great metrics for environmental performance of our building and for years and you know really proud of that and proud of the whole industry for kind of shifting around you know lead and uh, addressing the climate crisis through those those really tangible metrics but we don't have a way of capturing the intangible things like the communications between people um, how people's ability to access a building uh, so we're moving cultural barriers removing um, social equity and cost barriers all the intangible barriers to people coming into buildings and what that actually means at a community scale around addressing loneliness and uh, community resilience. So we're trying really hard, actually, that's part of the answer to the question, to develop a framework where we can actually track, track things like access, inclusion, health and well-being, community resilience. So our post-occupancy work is actually going back and saying, okay, we set a vision statement with the client and we had a series of principles. Uh, how can we measure those outcomes in, let's say, uh, better uh, attendance rates and better academic performance, perhaps at some of our high schools, if we have a before and after we can check from uh, usage rates, but also just can we come back to a community and engage with them again, two years, five years after and say, you know, do you feel more connected to your community as a result of this building? So there's, a, so I guess part of the answer to the question is it's around what are we trying, what are we trying to achieve? And I think it's been huge for us establishing and really getting our clients on board. And again, we're really lucky to work with community you know, parks and recreation, a lot of time they're in libraries and arts and culture folks, they're really, they're all about the impact and the, and, and, you know, the end result of that at a community scale. So they're really on board with working on that with us. But in terms of your really specific question around schematic design, I think that doing the kind of engagement that we are quite often now able to do, you know, having social impact researchers on our team to be able to sit with us and, and, and talk a little bit about the impact of um, putting something here or there or creating social moments in spaces. I think one of the big things for us would be really working with our clients to convince them that some of the program spaces that make up a place, whether it's like the gymnasium, the fitness center, the pool, those are huge and important, but actually almost equally or maybe more important is what we call the in-between spaces, like kind of the glue spaces where people actually, they might come to uh, engage in a sport or to get a library book. But I think if you put a cafe there and you provide seating and Wi-Fi and, and you know, a great view, uh, people will stay longer and they're much more likely to kind of bump into someone they know or make a new connection. And so it wasn't um, we're really seeing the needle shift quite a bit in terms of people understanding that the kind of really, truly public spaces, interior and exterior, are really the fabric of, of the community and where all those really important connections happen. So that's kind of shaping our thinking. But I think the other piece of it is how do we know we're making progress and that how do you measure the intangible? So we're really, as a firm, trying to get on, get onto that. I love how you touched on the spaces in between because it's it's sort of that leftover space where, you know, we're focusing on private. It's, it's almost like we're focusing on the private and focusing on the public, but there's that semi-private, semi-public that sort of falls through the cracks. Something that I think definitely works in your benefit is that HCMA works with a lot of public entities. You mentioned, you know, park boards, community centers. How do you see that 
approach in the non-public sector, you know, so if, if I, I'm where I'm HCMA working with a private developer who just wants to build, you know, a spec house four to six story wood frame as little amenities as possible, um, you know, maximize floor plate efficiency. How do you, how do you see that your learnings and your, your results inform and, and maybe alter that, that very traditional approach? Yeah, that's also a really interesting question. And I will touch a little bit on we are, we are, I am right now working with um, a private developer on a planned community facility in Coquitlam that uh, is quite, they're really trying to achieve incredible and high social social um, outcomes to the work. And maybe I'll talk a little bit about that. But I guess to your question, it's really, I think about values. And when we think about if I loop back on the idea of branding and, and having the the kind of interdisciplinary team that we have, I think a lot of the time it is it is trying to understand what is valuable to people. And I think, you know, for a lot of our for a lot of private developers, the value is in you know, the reality is they they want to to have a competitive edge, you know, what makes their four or six story walk up more desirable and perhaps sell versus the one down the street. And I think we are increasingly understanding that people uh, people are looking for more. People want to be able to connect so that there is actually value. And that's, you know, I, th- I think our our um, community clients see that and they get and they understand that. And that's the business that they're in. But I think our our role in terms of branding, communication and visual um, visual languages is, is trying to explain what the difference is, explain what the benefit is and try to make it visible to people. And I think in terms of branding, people are so much more savvy now. I think there's, we have so much more access to information. Social media is everywhere. So I think people can start to see, and I think we're getting more engaged, especially in the built environment and spaces that people want to live in terms of demanding what it is that they want. And I think the industry will shift a little bit, you know, to try to provide those social, more social amenities. No, you're right. Especially when it comes to branding. I mean, marketing is faster than than construction to take on innovation and redefine the story. And we're certainly seeing a lot of branding now take the approach of community building and you know new te- new condominiums and and apartment projects come out with branding that's very different than what we would have seen you know five ten years from now. What I love about your process with the rebranding is 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 you you have your branding team in-house so you've fully managed that process from a to z that's first of all very different than you know a lot of other businesses particularly architecture that's also very different than how the development industry uh, markets its projects so you know you want to imagine that you've nailed down your branding um, as a company and then um, let's say a private developer comes in works with you guys to build a building, they then outsource their marketing to a third party that may or may not capture the right message, that may or may not highlight the right spaces. How does that, you know, first of all, how has, why take your branding in-house? Has how What has been the successes and results behind that? And how do you see that evolving when it comes to the developer side? Yeah. Um, I, I think for us, um, if I'm honest, we've been on a journey at least for five years, maybe a little bit longer than that, where we really, um, at the leadership level, sat down and decided, uh, you know, what to, to maybe slowly to, to understand our vision and to really lead with our vision and our values. Um, and I think that, as I said, like that idea to have more impact, I think our first thinking was that, you know, we can bring in our our visual and communication team when we brought them in at a very small scale. And I think our first thinking, if I'm really honest, Judy, was like these, you know, this, these, 
this team will help us better communicate our architectural ideas and they will amplify our architecture. And we are very architecture centered about it. And then, you know, in re really quickly, really early on, we just saw the impact was so much greater than that, that, um, you know, the way that they were able to help us communicate ideas to our end customers, like the community and our clients was quite <laughs> transformative. Um, and they helped us with that. So I think we immediately saw the impact there, but we also, um, they were helping us communicate ideas more effectively through branded campaigns with our existing clients. So if we had a new community building and we would have, like I said, we have engagement in house and we wanted to connect with the community in a real, in a really meaningful way. We had them, we brought them in to help us kind of uh, create a word mark and a branded campaign for those initiatives. And we just saw the impact in terms of the uptake in, in participation rates, um, even just the idea of uh, getting people kind of excited and again, telling a story about what this building could be. Like we were just amazed by their approach and their perspective and where, and where it took us. So, you know, what, what happened from what, what from something quite small, um, we had all these engage engagement campaigns that really um, kind of grabbed people's attention and got a little bit of, um, of, of notice, I would say. And then pretty quickly we had external clients asking us if our team could, could do rebranding for them. And a, and a classic, a really great significant values aligned client for us was, um, was um, Passive House Canada. It's now Passive House Canada. It was at the time Canadian Passive House Institute. And I hope a lot of your listeners um, dealing in the built environment have heard of Passive House, but just in case it's a really kind of ultra low energy certification program that I think is one of our really key tools in, in addressing reduction of climate emissions. So when we had um, Canadian Passive House Institute come to us and say, could we do a rebrand? Could we work them on a rebrand? We were just absolutely thrilled and I think if you want to kind of google that as a case study the the difference from Canfi which I think most people didn't know to Passivos Canada which I feel like is is the rebranding was incredible and amazing and right now we're doing uh, work with Squamish Nation which is again so so impactful and kind of the work that we want to be doing um so that work is just incredible. So I guess it, I'm losing track of what your original question was. It's maybe around the power, the power of branding. I think it evolved over time for us, where we saw really how much more reach we could have to have more impact. I think that's, that that's the real motivator for us. And I mean, our team has grown since you know from one one creative joining us just specifically in terms of communication and visual branding. We have three creatives now. We have a client lead and a services lead, and we're just really seeing the incredible potential they have to tell stories, to to help us advocate on issues that we want to advocate on by kind of translating sometimes, you know, written or verbal thoughts into something that's really engageable and digestible to, for people. So I think in terms of, I think your original question was, what did that look like to do it internally? I think we had this incredible advantage of feeling really known. Like we had people on the inside who kind of knew what our vision and values were and saw how we, uh, how we actually operated. And in some ways, I think they reflected us back to ourselves as leaders of the firm in a way that, that we couldn't have expected, to be honest, maybe if we'd gone with an external branding um, company. But I think that's the, that's the trick is, to, is they, they're great listeners. And so uh, if it was in terms of our external clients, I think they're listening really deeply and trying to understand authentically what an organization or, or a client is and then trying to reflect that visually. It really touches on the importance of bringing in people with different skill sets and different experiences because, you know, me and you could be sitting on the table and we could listen to the same, we could hear the same thing, um, but not interpret it or, or um, you know, brand it the right way to actually reflect the message that's been said. And it's really important to loop in those 
players um, as part of our team who have that expertise and know-how, who have their ears on the ground and know, you know, when have we actually captured the diversity of the community or when have we fallen to the gap of a very niched survey that actually, in fact, captures only a specific part. Little did we know there's so much of those, um, of, you know, so much of the community that's seen that survey, for example, but not actually responded. So uh, mm-hmm. I commend you guys for, for bringing in your, your team in-house and, and starting to invite people that challenge your skill set and, and add to that and having a very open approach to compounding your skills rather than, than siloing them. How do you how do you see that in the future? How do you you know it it seems like you guys started off by you know let's let's do a test run and and bring in someone to to brand it and it somehow exploded into uh, a burst of opportunities that you didn't expect. How do you see that unfolding in parallel or or you know with the practice of HCMA? Yeah, I I think it's just going to keep growing. Um, we're a little bit uh, we're we're loving. I think you kind of touched on the idea of challenge. Like I, I think the other disciplines coming in are kind of challenging us and pushing us in a really good way, which is kind of humbling, but also um, it gets us somewhere so much better. Like we're kind of I, I'm loving that part of it. Like we're working with an environmental psychologist right now on that social impact framework that I, I touched on, and it's been really great to have her perspective and say, yeah, you're saying this, but is that really happening? And how do we how do we capture it? How do we document it? Um, and, you know, I think the the idea of bringing more people in just makes the ability to, as I said, to sort of solve those bigger problems and to hold us accountable for the things that we do in a really, in a more robust way. So I think for us, it's just, it's just the beginning. And we see whether it's through collaborations uh, on project specific things with people outside or bringing it into our own team. I think, I think that, I think we, I think in summary, I think the problems we face are getting more complex and we just need more voices at the table. And it, especially at the city scale, right? I think for a lot of people who are in the development industry or see this um, incredible impact we have on people's behavior and their sense of, of safety and happiness in cities, I think working in the built environment, it's just so critical to always be questioning how we're doing things and are we doing things in the right way? I think that... The- key word of this podcast really is what you just mentioned is that projects are becoming more and more complex and this idea of of wanting to grab it and run with it by yourself is just not going to work anymore and we need to start really incorporating more and more of that those diverse speakers and those diverse voices that can speak to the potential problems and solve the existing problems so that we can future proof our our cities and communities for the future yeah, Melissa, absolutely. thank you so much. This was very informative. I'm really excited about the evolution of HCMA's practice. Um, for all of our speakers, HCMA has a ton of books that they publish in terms of community building, pools, and public spaces. And I really invite anyone who's at the other end of this podcast to check them out, check out their work and their recent rebranding. Melissa, thank you so much for the opportunity to speak with you and learn a little bit more about HCMA's practice. Thanks, Judy. It was a pleasure. I loved the conversation. So thanks for having me.